0: Okay, uh, go ahead and turn your Bibles to Genesis 22. Genesis 22, we're continuing our study of the life of Abraham. And I think this evening we look at it, it's Abraham's biggest test. Abraham is told by God to offer his son as a burnt offering. We'll explain more of what a burnt offering is in just a minute. But, it, you know, this is the son Isaac. This is the son that he had waited 25 years for. This is the son through which the seed would come, the promised son. So Abraham is to offer this son to God as a burnt offering. And, and In a sense, we could say, that, that really doesn't make sense. I mean, that doesn't make sense. If you told Abraham, one day you'll have a son, that son will be the one in which the seed and the promise will come and all of those things. And then he finally gets the son and then he says, okay, now what I want you to do is I want you to kill the son. That doesn't make sense to us. We, that, that, so as we study this passage, let's let's raise some questions. Okay, does God want human sacrifices because that's what he's telling them to do is take your son and offer a sacrifice. And we know that when the nation of Israel, you know, uh, comes back out of the uh, from Egypt and they cross into the land and, and one of the things that God tells them is says, that "You don't be like those peoples because they offered their children as sacrifices." And we say, "Okay, so does God want human sacrifices? Second, how could Abraham offer Isaac? If Isaac is the promised son and if the seed's going to come through Isaac, how could he do this? And then the third thing is how is Isaac a picture of Christ? And then we mentioned that already in that sense because we'll see how that how here is Abraham offering up his only son, as we'll call it, and God the Father offered up his only son, Jesus Christ. But what can we what can we learn about God's provisions? Because that's one of the keys of the passage the Lord will provide. And we'll see how that fits together. How do we understand the events of this passage? How to respond to the word of God when it seems not to exactly make sense? Because we'd say, oh, okay, we understand what he's saying, but that doesn't make sense to do that. We realize that what God directs, God also provides. And God will supply whatever is needed to carry out his will. And we need to trust God in, in, in the circumstances of our lives. So this evening we see the offering of Isaac, we'll tie this together. Let's let's pray and then we'll see how it all fits together. Let's pray, Heavenly Father. What a great night! Thank you, Lord, for the fun we have as we come together and we sing, and and then we we have the opportunity to study Your Word. And Lord, we look at the Bible and we look at Genesis and we look at Genesis 22, and we realize that Your Word is amazing and it is uh, it is really uh, fun to study and it is uh, beneficial as we look at Your Word and we learn from it. So we just ask You now to teach us, Lord, as we study. And Lord, we know that the Word of God was given not just for us to. Know, no, but for us to apply and for us to be changed. We want to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. So help us to learn things, Lord, from your word that will change us. Teach us now, Lord. We ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, when you say the word test, uh, for a lot of us, that uh, that brings a lot of memories. In fact, for some of us, it makes us sick to our stomach because we think of, we say, I'm not very good at tests or I don't like tests. And we think about, well, what about, uh, what about tests that you face? Some are final exams. I mean, okay, here. Turn over the paper, start your final exam. You go, oh, my gosh, what a test. Or maybe a job interview is a big test for you or some big project at work that you've got to get done. Or for some younger people, they say, you know, you're going to have to parallel park on your driving test. And you go, oh, my gosh, I don't know if I can do that. So you think about tests. They come into our lives all the time. Some are written like exams and study the material. Some come as the choices that we make, the rights and the wrongs, whether we're going to be wise or foolish, whether we're going to obey God or disobey God, whether we're going to do what's right. Some, some come as events, circumstances, sicknesses, failures, promises, all those kind of things. How do we respond to the tests that God brings into our lives? The goal, of course, is to pass the test. And think about your most recent test. How did you do you know, how did we do? This evening, Abraham faces the biggest test of his life. In fact, the passage says it came about after these things that, Ab- that God tested Abraham. Wow. Will he trust God? Will he pass the test? We've seen in his life that he's passed some tests and he's failed some tests. I mean, think about it. Two different times he failed. Because two different times he told people that Sarah was really his sister and not his wife, even though she was his half sister, but he told, he lied. He lied on purpose to, to, thought, he thought it'd be to his advantage. He got in trouble both times, so he failed. But we also saw that he passed the test, because when God said, leave the earth of the Chaldees and go to a land that I'll show you, he left. And he was willing to separate from Lot, but even when, even when there was just too much crowd and he told Lot, you, you pick wherever you want to go. And, and he was still willing to trust God that wherever Lot went, he would, he, he would think it would be okay. And he was willing to take Ishmael, that other son, and remove him from the family. He was willing to trust God. But this evening, it, this will be the biggest test of all. To offer your son as a sacrifice? The biggest test? of his life and we come to I think one of the most famous passages in the whole scripture Uh, especially Old Testament passage it it has been called uh, one of the most famous of all S. Lewis Johnson was used to be a teacher at Dallas Seminary he said this this is the greatest scene in the Old Testament passed only by the sacrifice of God's son at Calvary so I want you to see that we've not just come to just a passage of scripture tonight we've come to one of the greatest passages of scripture God commands Abraham to offer his son Isaac how could he do this Jewish scholar by the name of Finhas Pelai says this. He writes for the Jerusalem Post and he says, this passage is filled with tension between God and man, between the Father and the Son, between destiny and choice, between obedience and freedom, faith and doubt, hope and despair. Does God want human sacrifice? What about the promised Son, Isaac? What about the seed? If he's killed, how's the seed going to come? Because God said the seed's coming through Isaac. And how could a father be willing to offer his son as a sacrifice? Let's break down this passage. We see God's instructions to him. Offer your son as a sacrifice. We see Abraham's preparation and the trip. They go to Moriah. We see actually the sacrifice for God's intervention and provision. And then the last but not least, we'll see some information. This is the last of the chapter. Some people look at this last part, 20 through 24, and they say, what is that in there? Uh, we'll tell you once in there when we get to the end. Why does he say, oh, by the way, Abraham's brother had some children? So, we'll see why. We'll see how it fits. Well, let's begin the test. God's instructions to Abraham, verse 1, Genesis 22. Now, after these things, it came about after these things that God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, Here I am. Now, what things? You remember what God's been doing? God's working in Abraham's life just like he works in our lives, and he's preparing Abraham for this test. He's been getting Abraham to get his life together, to get his act together. The recent events have actually prepared Abraham. You remember he had been lying and he got caught twice, and God says, don't lie, you got to trust me. He's now removed Ishmael. In fact, the last couple of chapters we saw were Ishmael, and, 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 and he actually removed him from the family unit, and he's trusting God that he's doing the right thing, and that's what he did. But notice this, it says, now it came about after these things that God tested Abraham. The word test there, even in the Hebrew, means test for approval. It's to put you through something so you can be approved, so you can do what's right. The test is so that, that uh, he'll trust God. Tests from God are never to do wrong. God never says, I'm going to test them so they'll mess up and sin. That's never, never the way it is. James says that God never tests us to cause us to sin. In fact, the events and tests in our lives that cause us to grow. James chapter 1, verses 2 and 3 says, Get it all joy and you fall into various trials, testings, because the testing you of your faith works patience. It calls you to trust God. Romans eight twenty eight says, All things work together for good. Those that love God, those that are called according to His purpose. That's the idea. So when the events and the tests and the trials come into our lives, we have to remember God is sovereign and He's working. And these are for our good. We say, these are for our good. Some of these things don't seem very good. He didn't say it'll be good. He said it'll work together for good. There's an old saying that says, It's better storms with Christ than smooth waters without him. God speaks to Abraham. And God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham! And he said, Here I am. That's his answer. In fact, the way the answer is, Here I am, it's like, I'm here and I'm available. Because we're going to see two or three times somebody says, Abraham. And Abraham goes, Here I am. I'm available. When God calls, are you available? And, of course, I don't think today that he calls us so much by any kind of audible voice like he did here. There was no written scripture. But you've got the scripture and you've got the truths that he says for us to do. And are, are we available? God is looking for available, faithful, teachable people. That's what he's looking for. People who are faithful, people who are available, people who are teachable. And that's what we want to be. We want to be available to serve God. We want to be faithful to do what he wants us to do. We want to be teachable to take what the truths are and live them out. God calls Abraham, and, God, and Abraham says, Here I am. What do you want me to do? Now, you, you might think that when God came to Abraham, Abraham could be saying, You know, what is, is he going to move? Is he going to move? I'm, I'm, I'm in that region of Beersheba, real south part of, of the land. Maybe he wants me to move up for, further, or maybe he wants me to go over there. Or maybe he wants me to do something with crops, or maybe he wants me to sell some animals. Who knows what he wants me to do? But here's what he wants him to do. He said... Take now your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I will tell you. Now that's not, that doesn't beat around a bush anywhere, does it? It's just flat out. Take your son, offer him as a burnt offering. I'm going to tell you to go to a place. It's about three days from here. It's Mount Moriah. I want you to go to the mountain, and I want you to offer your son as a burnt offering. You could almost see him go. What about animal? Could we do an animal? We could do an animal, couldn't we? We've done animals a lot. Why not animal? What about a servant? What about Ishmael? What about anybody but Isaac? Anybody but Isaac? Now notice how he describes here. Take your son, your only son. Wait a minute. This is not his only son, is it? Doesn't he have Ishmael? But the word only there is a Hebrew word, which is also transliterated over in Greek as well, which means unique. That's why when the Bible says God gave his only begotten son, it doesn't just mean only son. It means the unique son, Jesus Christ, the son of God. He says, this is your unique son. See, this is a unique son because Ishmael wasn't unique. Ishmael didn't come from the promise. But Isaac did. And the blessing and the promise is going to come through Isaac. So God is saying, take this son, this unique son. And notice, he says, take your son, your only son, your unique son. And now watch. Whom you love. Whom you love. First mention of love in the scripture. Abraham's love for his only begotten son. Throughout the Bible, the idea is magnified, the God's love for his only begotten son. What does the name Isaac mean? Laughter. I don't think anybody's laughing right now, are they? Nobody's laughing. He says, take your son, go to the land of Moriah. Moriah was a three-day trip. They're going to leave the southern part of Israel, which is near Beersheba, and they're going to go up to basically Jerusalem. Jerusalem used to be known as Salem. Which means peace. Jeru is, is Jeru is the name for it's a short form of Jehovah or God. Jerusalem means Jehovah's Peace, God's peace. You remember Melchizedek was the king priest from Salem, Jerusalem. He says, Go up to Moriah to this mountain, uh one of the mountains on which I'm gonna tell you, and offer your son as a burnt offering. You know where Jesus was crucified? What mountain? Mount Moriah, same place. You realize he is taking Isaac to the place that years later Jesus Christ will be offered as the final sacrifice for sin forever. It's the same place. Jerusalem is built on Mount Moriah. Mount Zion, Mount Moriah, same area. He says, go go to the land there and offer him as a burnt offering. Now, you know a burnt offering um, was unu- was not unusual, but it was a, it was a, you, you went and got an animal and you picked out an animal without a spot without blemish, and you took it and you cut the throat of the animal and you put it up on an altar, and you had wood on that altar because what you were going to do was not just kill the animal but you were going to set fire, and you were going to burn the thing completely up. Be nothing left, and it was symbolic of a total dedication. You were totally dedicating this to God. It was like you'd say, "This animal takes my place." That's what the sacrifices did. They took the people's place, and they said, "I'm offering my life as a sacrifice to God, a burnt offering." But God doesn't say, "Go take an animal and offer as a burnt offering to me like a sacrifice." He says, "I want you to take your son, your only son, the one you love, take him to Moriah, and offer him there as a burnt offering." You know what he's going to have to do? He's going to have to take his son, put him up on an altar, cut his throat, and then set him on fire and burn him completely up. Well, will Abraham do this? Will Abraham obey a clear command from God? Now, to us, we'd say, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't. Are you sure this is God? Because this doesn't really look right. It looks wrong. I mean, how could God do this? Because the Old Testament talks about human sacrifices. No, 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 no. Pagans did the human sacrifices. That's always wrong. So the question is, will Abraham obey a clear command from God, even if it doesn't look exactly right? And the question to each of us, do we obey the clear commands of God? He says to be holy, study the word, share our faith, worship with other believers, use our gifts, serve one another in love. Do we obey those clear commands? Abraham's to sacrifice his son, and what is a sacrifice? It's giving up something that's valuable. If it's not valuable, then it's not a sacrifice. All the Old Testament sacrifices had to be without spot and without blemish; had to be the best of the flock. He got to give up his son, and not just not just any son, the son of the promise. So here's our first question: You remember? Does God desire a human sacrifice? And the answer is yes. We say, well, no, 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 that's pagan. That's pagan. Uh, pagans offered uh, uh, their children to Moloch. They had burned their children up in the fire, and God said, no, no, you can't do that. But is, does God really want a human sacrifice? The answer is Yes. See, in the Old Testament, all the animal sacrifices only covered sin. Hebrews 10.4 said the blood of bulls and goats could never take away sin. Every animal sacrifice they they offered, even the sinful sacrifices that for sin, they only covered sin because the blood of an animal cannot pay for the man's sin. There must be a human sacrifice to pay for human sin. And the only human sacrifice that can pay for human sin is a perfect human sacrifice. So the question is, does God want a human sacrifice? The answer is that's the only kind of sacrifice that can deal with our sins. It has to be a human sacrifice because animal sacrifices only cover sin. You're going to have to have a Perfect human sacrifice to pay for sin. And there's never been a perfect human except one, and that is Jesus Christ, who is the Son of God, who came to this world, came into this earth as the human being, who is the perfect Son of God, lived the perfect life so that he could die on the cross to be the perfect human sacrifice. That's why he's called the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He is the Lamb without spot and without blemish. God wants, I think the next slide... God requires a human sacrifice—the sacrifice of Christ, the perfect human, to pay for the sin of mankind. But you and I could say, "But this, this, uh, uh, this isn't isn't the perfect human." I mean, Isaac is not perfect. What's going to happen? Would you sacrifice your child? Now we'd say, well, you know, God doesn't do, do that sort of thing and, 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 uh, and now we have scripture and we have the written word of God and, and, and God's not coming in, you know, because see, there wasn't any scripture then written. So God made his appearance, made himself known to Abraham in some way. There was no doubt as far as Abraham was concerned that this is God telling him to do this. What would you do? Notice the next verse. So Abraham rose up early in the morning, saddled his donkey, took two of his young men with him, and Isaac his son, and he split wood for the burnt offering, and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. Do you see any hesitation at all? Do you see Abraham talking to God, saying, "Well, let me let's talk about this. Uh, do, is this is this tomorrow, or can I? Do I have a couple of weeks to think about this?" There is no hesitation whatsoever. Do you see hesitation here? I, I I'm amazed at this. This is why Abraham's called a man of faith. Because God says, "Take your son, your only son, the one that you love, the one that is the promise, the one that the seed's going to come through." And you take him to a place three days from here, put him on top of a mountain, put him on top of an altar, put him on top of wood, set fire to it, cut his throat, and burn him up. And he did not hesitate. I, 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 I would, I'd be running the. Other, I'd be like Jonah. I'd be getting out of there as fast as I could. Right? Wouldn't you? What would you do? You say, "I don't think I could do this." So what does he do? Abraham rose early in the morning. Saddled his donkey, took two of his young men, two of his servants with him. Now, you got to remember, Abraham doesn't have a household with four or five people. He had, what, 315, 318 fighting men. I mean, he's just got a huge group. He's he's rich. He's wealthy. Tents everywhere. Animals everywhere. Everything. He picks two of his main servants, two of his young men with him and Isaac. And he split wood for the burnt offering, and he went out to the place which God had told him. Now, I guarantee you what he said. He said, son... Isaac, let's get some wood. We've got to get everything ready. We're going to a place. God wants me to offer a burnt offering to him. And I'm sure Isaac said, that sounds good to me. And so they left. On the third day, Abraham raised his eyes and saw the place from a distance. Three-day trip, they saw Moriah. Second Chronicles chapter 3, verse 1 says, On the top of Mount Moriah, Solomon built the temple. It's the same place, same area. Now notice the instructions and these. This is the key. This is the key to the passage. Verse 5. Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey, and I and the lead will go over there, and we will worship and return to you. The English doesn't say it is quite like the Hebrew says. It says, And we will worship and we will return to you. We will go, we will worship, we will return. Now, Abraham, do you, I don't know if you, if you got what's going to happen, Abraham, you're supposed to go over there and do what? Kill him and burn him up. How are we going to go over there and worship and both of us come back? Once again, that doesn't make sense, does it? We both go, we both worship. I'm going to kill him, burn him up, and we come back. And by the way, best we can tell, especially from Hebrews and some other books, that th- these young men, are, it's not, they don't disappear from sight. They see the whole thing. They're watching them go up to the top of that mountain, that high place, and they watch it all. book of James talks about, by faith, Abraham did something. And the people saw it. Who was the people that saw it? These two guys. Stay here with the donkey. I and the lamb will go over there, and we will worship and return to you. How could this be? How could God, how could Abraham sacrifice Isaac if he's the promised son? And how could God keep his word if Isaac dies? Because back in chapter 21, verse 12, the promise is the descendants will come through Isaac. Alan Ross at Dallas Seminary, he was a professor at Dallas Seminary, I was there, he's not there now, it says, God planned that the seed would come through Isaac. How are you going to kill Isaac and the seed come through Isaac? How could he reconcile the fact that God said, seed comes through Isaac, but you go kill him and burn him up? Turn to Hebrews chapter 11. I want you to see something. Take just a second. Hold your place. In Genesis, because we're coming back, but Hebrews chapter 11. Now, Hebrews chapter Hebrews chapter 11 is called the Hall of Fame of Faith. And in that chapter, it have all these things where people trusted God by faith. Uh, Noah did this by faith. Abraham did this by faith. Somebody else did this over and over and over. Well, look what this passage says. I want you to look at Hebrews chapter 11. Look at verse 17. And this tells us how Abraham could say, I will take the son, we will go on the mountain, we will sacrifice, we will worship, and we will come back, knowing he's going up there to kill him and burn him up. How could that possibly be? Hebrews 11, verse 17, By faith Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promise was offering up his only begotten son. It was he to whom it was said, In Isaac your descendants shall be called. He's he's reminding us, look, he's offering up the son, which the descendants are going to come. Here's what Abraham did. He considered that God is able to raise even from the dead, from which he also received him back as a type. What did Abraham know that when he went up there and he slit his son's throat and burned him up? What did he know God must have to do? Raise him from the dead. Do you understand that Abraham believed that he was going to go on that mountain? He was going to kill his son and burn him up, and then God's going to raise him from the dead, and they're going to walk back down off that mountain back to those guys. That's what he believed. He says that's the only way it's possible, because God said the seed's coming through Isaac, and God's telling me to kill Isaac. He said, if God's telling me to kill Isaac, I'm going to kill Isaac. And God's going to have to raise him from the dead because God never goes back on his promises. This is one of the most amazing stories in the whole scripture. Go back to Genesis 22. If God said kill Isaac and the seed would come through Isaac, the only thing that Abraham believed is that God would raise him from the dead. We will go worship. We will return. Isaac is a type of Christ. Abraham offered his only begotten son, to die and rise again. And God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, Jesus Christ, to die and rise again as the final sacrifice for sin forever. Notice what happened. Verse 6. Abraham took the, word for the bur- wood uh, for the burnt offering, laid it on Isaac his son, and he took his- in his hand the fire and the knife so the two of them walked together. So you can just see it. Abraham said, here, son, take the wood. I got it, Dad. Okay. And I've got the fire and I've got the knife. What's missing? The sacrifice, you know, you can see Isaac going, okay, fire and wood, something missing here. Something that not adding up. So look what happens. Isaac spoke to Abraham's father and said, my father. And Abraham said, here I am, my son. And he said, behold, the fire and the wood. But where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Uh, you know, the light bulb has come on, right? Where is the lamb for the burnt offering? You could almost see Abraham say, I hate to break this to you, son. You're the lamb. did not say that. It doesn't say that. Verse 8, Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. So the two of them walked on together. He said, the Lord will provide. God, literally in the Hebrew it says, literally God will see for himself what he needs. You know what Abraham is thinking? Either along the way there's going to be an animal, and God's going to say, Take that animal instead of your son, or that my son is the sacrifice that God provides and he will raise him up. The Lord will provide the sacrifice. The Lord will provide the lamb. And some 2,000 years later, the Lord provided the lamb, the lamb of God, Jesus Christ, who takes away the sin of the world. Isaiah said he bore our sins and our transgressions. He's the lamb without spot. And without blemish. Now, I want you to see the test. And I want you to see something that you may not have thought of. All this time, we've watched at the faith of Abraham, right? What about Isaac? Look at the next part. They came to the place of which God had told him. And Abraham built the altar there and arranged the wood and bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Now, let me tell you something. How old is Abraham? At least a hundred. I mean, how old is Isaac? He could be. He could be twenty. Could be eighteen. Could be fourteen. I mean, he's not a baby. So, hey, how old is Abraham? Let's say he's about 115, right? Do you think a 15 year old can stop a 115 year old from putting him on an altar, unless he just wants to get on that altar? Let me tell you, all all Isaac had to do was say, "Catch me if you can," and you're not going to. But you know what Isaac did? He said, if this is what God says do, do it, because look what it says. Built the altar, ranged the wood, bound his son Isaac, and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. If Isaac did not want to be in that sacrifice, he ain't, he's not going to stay there. Isaac is trusting God in the same way that Abraham is trusting God. You just don't see it. We, can't, we don't look at it that way, but that's what's happening. Do you think Abraham hugged and kissed his son? And said, I, you know, son, I just believe that, that when this is over, God's going to raise you up. I just know he is. That's what he promises. And and you can almost see Isaac saying, God, I, I don't understand it, daddy. But if this is what God says to do, I just have to trust you. I have to trust God. Whatever, whatever. Abraham stretched out his hand, verse 10, and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. I bet he was so glad to hear the angel of the Lord. Now, the angel of the Lord, is that's God. That's not not an angel, angel. This is the term referring to the pre-incarnate Christ. This is God himself. And so the angel of the Lord spoke to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. And this is what he said. Do not... Stretch out your hand against the lad. Do nothing to him. For now I know that you fear God, since you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. He said, don't kill him. You pass the test. Would Abraham be willing to give up anything for God? Are you you and I willing to give up anything for God? It's a pretty hard test, isn't it? They may not be asking you to do that, and he's not. He does say, I want you to give me your life. I want you to serve me. I want you to say to me, I'll go anywhere you want me to go. I'll do anything you want me to do. I'll give my life for you. He stops because this is not a perfect sacrifice. perfect sacrifice is coming in about 2,000 years. Look what happened. Abraham raised his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him a ram caught in the thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered him up as a burnt offering in the place of his son. Did God provide a sacrifice that day? He did. Don't you know that Abraham looked over and he went, oh, my hot dog. There it is. I don't have to worry about it. I'm going to offer the burnt sacrifice. It's not going to be my son. Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide. Jehovah Jireh is what sometimes is called. Yahweh Jireh. The Lord will provide. It's said to this day in the manner of the Lord, and we provide God always provides. God provides the substitute. The substitute, realize that God has a substitute for us. Every one of us, listen, we all God death. We're supposed to die. We're supposed to be separated from God forever. We've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. We're supposed to be separated from God forever. And God said, I got a substitute for you. I got something to take your place. It's as if we're laying on that altar and we're about to die and be separated from God forever and He says, Hold it. I got somebody to take their place. Really? You kidding? No, no. I got Jesus is gonna take your place. Wow. God demonstrates his love toward us while we're yet sinners. What happened? Christ died for us. For God has made him who knew no sin to be sin for us. And so the place is called the Lord provides. God continues to speak. The angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, declared the Lord. Because you've done this thing and not withheld your son, your only son here. remember, And he goes back and he reminds Abraham of the promises that he's already promised him. But he adds something to it. Watch what he says. Indeed, I will greatly bless you, and I will greatly multiply your seed as the stars of the heavens and the sandwiches on the seashore. He's already told him that a long time ago. It's not new. Look at the next part. And your seed shall possess the gate of their enemies. You know what he says? You're going to have victory over all your enemies. That's what's going to happen. He reviews the promises. He reminds him of the promises, but he says that we victory over enemies. And then he says the statement that he said... Earlier, way, all the way back to 12, Genesis 12, in your seed all the nations of the earth will be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. Now, the, the promise stood whether he ever did this or not because the promises of God can't go back, but he's continuing to remind Abraham of his faithfulness, What, how Abraham is faithful and how God is faithful, and God's going to do exactly what he promises. Now watch. So Abraham returned to his young men, and they arose and went together to Beersheba, and Abraham lived. You know what those two guys said later on? Because you see it in the book of James. They said, Abraham really trusts God. Abraham believes God. Abraham really is a believer because of what he does, because he believes God. He's trusted God. That we saw him being willing to offer up his own son. Just read James chapter two, because James chapter two talks about this event. I think this is one of the most unbelievable, um, the most amazing stories in the Scripture. Well, the ends, it ends quickly with verses 20 through 24. Let's see what happens here. Now, it came about after these things that it was told Abraham, saying, Behold, Milcah is also born children to your brother Nahor. Now, remember, he has a brother named Nahor, and Nahor's wife is named Milcah, and word came to him that they had kids. And then they begin to list them. Uz, his firstborn, and then Buzz his brother, and Kimiel, the father of Amram, and Chesed, and Hazel, and Pildash and, and, and uh, Jidlap, and Bethuel. Now, why why do we even need to know this? Why do we even need to know this? Because we'd say, well, good, Abraham, your brother had kids. But notice the next verse. Bethuel became the father of Rebekah. These eight, Melchai, Borden, Ahor, Abraham's brother. Let me stop for a second. Who's Rebecca? That's Isaac's wife. Why is he giving us this information? He's letting us know that in the future, here is the wife of this guy, Isaac, that that didn't get killed. This is the woman who's going to marry Isaac, through which who's going to come? The seed's going to come. Isaac and Rebecca, they had what kids? Jacob and Esau. So that's why we have this information. That's why he said Bethiel became the father of Rebekah. You notice that they don't say any other women's names in this little section. They just name the kids, the boys, the sons. And then they mention even the concubine whose name was Reman. And then they list the, the four people there. But the key is, by the way, we got Rebekah mentioned. And we could say, well, who, who's, why do they mention Rebekah? She's going to be the wife of Isaac. And talk about a great story. By the way, that's chapter 24. It's only two chapters away. That's why he's telling us even now. We've seen God's command to offer Isaac as a human sacrifice. Will he obey a clear command to God? he went to Moriah? He offered Isaac. He trusted God to raise him from the dead. God stopped him and reminded him of the promises. So remember the questions that we ask? Does God want human sacrifices? Yes. It has to be a perfect sacrifice. Is Isaac a picture of Christ? Yes, the only begotten son. How could Isaac do it? Because he knew that God would raise him from the dead. And last but not least, what do we learn about God's provision? When God directs, God always does what? He provides. When he wants you to do something, he's going to provide for you. Let me give you the applications, and then we'll have the Lord's Supper. Let's obey the word of God. Trust in him. Let's do it. The clear commands. We have the word of God. Abraham obeyed God. We must obey God. We have the written revelation. We must trust God. We must live out what he commands. We have to trust God. What events are coming in our lives that you have to live by the scripture? You understand that sometimes living by the scripture is not convenient. Sometimes living by the scripture doesn't seem to be for your advantage. But we have to obey the word of God. We obey the word of God even if we... Think it won't turn out best for us. You have to trust God and His Word. Second, realize that, the, that Christ is the sacrifice that brings salvation. See, only in Christ is there salvation. John fourteen six. He's the perfect Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. No animal sacrifices could pay for sin. There has to be a perfect human being to be the sacrifice for human beings. You know, I can still remember the first time that really hit me. You know, I'm I'm studying the Bible. I'm just learning and I'm growing and I'm all excited. I'm trying to put all this sacrificial stuff together and thinking about all these animal sacrifices. And then it really hit me because God sent his son, his only begotten son, his perfect son to die for us. But it didn't hit on me that, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Has to be a person. It can't be an animal. Has to be a human being to pay for human being sins. It has to be a perfect human being. That's, That's what it's all about. Wow. Well, there's a third application, and that is realize that the Lord will provide. He is. When He directs our lives, He always supplies what we need. Remember in Philippians this morning, just a quick mention, God will supply all our needs according to His riches and glory. He, if, if, if He promises, He provides. We needed a substitute. The Lord provided, and that substitute is Jesus Christ. In the Christian life, we need power to live. What does He do? Gives us the Holy Spirit. Gives us the Word of God. Gives us spiritual gifts. On and on and on. Whatever God wants to do, He will always provide. May we trust God, living according to His Word, knowing that He provides what we need especially Jesus Christ, the substitute that gives us salvation. Wow. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, what a passage. Thank you, Lord, for these great truths. Help us to know it and understand it and make application in our lives. Lord, thank you that you are the one who provides. Thank you that we are to obey you. Thank you that Jesus is the final sacrifice for sin forever. And, Lord, as we look at this passage, what we say to you is, Lord, we want our lives to count for you. We give you our lives in service. We know that salvation is a gift given freely to us, but we as believers give to you our lives in service. May we do that. May we live for you, knowing that you will always provide anything that we need. We ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.